Hi friends, welcome to the Kansas City MomCast, a place to learn, connect, and grow in a relevant and intentional way. We're your hosts, Sarah and Megan. Join us as we interview experts in the field and hear from local moms just like you. This is a podcast for Kansas City moms by Kansas City moms. We know that your time is precious and we're grateful you've chosen to spend some of it with us. Thank you for being a part of the Kansas City Mom Collective community. Hi, friends. Welcome back. Today, we're talking about alcohol and motherhood, an issue that's been normalized culturally as moms, but can easily turn into something more serious. Moms with young kids increase their alcohol consumption by nearly 325% between the start of COVID-19 pandemic and the end of the year 2020, according to a study conducted for the National Institute on Alcohol Abuse and Alcoholism. A study published in JAMA, found that during 2020, there was a 41% increase in the number of days on which women drank heavily, heavily defined as having four or more drinks in a couple of hours. We know that alcoholism isn't a new thing since COVID for moms. Research suggests that often self-imposed pressure and the desire to be, quote, super mom can cause anxiety, stress, and depression. Alcohol can be a socially acceptable way to unwind after a long and stressful day. This habit can quickly progress since it's easier to justify the amount of alcohol consumed. There are, few, there are fewer warning signs or consequences of drinking in the privacy of your own home, making it easier for functioning alcoholics to appear fine while denying a true issue. We're so grateful to have Megan Peters, a local Kansas City mom, on the show today to help us tackle this issue and share her story. Let's get started. Hi, Megan. Welcome to Kansas City MomCast. Hello. Thank you so much for having me. Yeah, of course. Thanks for being here. Okay, so before we get started um, on our topic today, which we're so appreciative of you being here and sharing your story, can you start by just telling us a little bit about you and your family? Sure. So I live in kind of the Overland Park, Lenexa area of Kansas City with my spouse and my two kids. I have a 10th grader, so a high schooler, which is bonkers, and um, an 11-year-old fifth grader, which I'm PTA president at the elementary school, and then we have the high school. So it's like, it's a very odd spread of things that we're dealing with on the daily, but, um, but it's great. And then we have a ridiculous, um, house full of animals and, um, yeah. And I, both my husband and I work full time. Um, I work in digital strategy and marketing for a local healthcare entity that is quite large. Um, so that's been really interesting the past few years. Um, and so, yeah, we're just kind of balancing this, later season of parenting, um, with career and, and all the things we are busy, busy. Yeah. That's awesome. Well, thank you for, thank you so much for fitting us in today. Of course. Um, okay. So can you tell us, just tell us your sobriety story. We're so interested to hear about you and kind of how you've gotten to be where you are now today. Of course. Yeah. So, you know, my sobriety story, I think, is one that every time I tell it, I hear from people that have the exact same story. So I don't think it's unique. And I think that's mm-hmm. actually one of the things you kind of confront in early recovery from any addiction is you think I'm in this because I'm broken or I'm messed up or I went through this thing or whatever. Mm-hmm. And then you go and you meet other people and it's like, oh yeah, no, we're all just like humans doing our best in the world. Yes. And there are things around us that feel easier in the moment. And um, if you grab onto those things at a certain age or time in your life, sometimes those can be harder to let go of. So yeah. um, I was a person that um, was a super overachiever um, mm-hmm. when I was, you know, a kid through teenager, you know, grew up in a household where um, there were some things going on that made it so that I felt like I had to do all the things and take care of everyone and be perfect and um, be the outward facing star of the family. Um, And that's really stressful. And so I learned, um, unfortunately, at a younger age than I wish I did, 
that alcohol was a release for me. It was it was the only place where I felt like I could finally just relax and not even be myself, but I wasn't worrying about all these other things. And there was also a lot of issues with all these stressors in my life with with things like sleep. Mm-hmm. I had always had a really hard time sleeping and I found, you know, alcohol made me fall asleep. And so mm-hmm. I started using it as a crutch. And um, I think a thing that a lot of people forget because alcohol is so normalized in our culture yes. is it is an addictive substance. Mm-hmm. So if you're using an addictive substance for, you know, a mental health issue, an emotional issue, mm-hmm. you even when those issues maybe fade away, you're now addicted to that substance. Yeah. And so, and different people's bodies react differently, but mine reacted in a way where I was not able to be my best self when I was drinking, but I also didn't have any other tools to deal with stressors in my life. And so one thing that I learned really early in recovery was, you know, they say that once you um, get sober or get into recovery, that you are the mental and emotional age, mostly emotional, maybe not mental, um, of the age you were when you started drinking. And you have to relearn how to be a human in the world without all of these crutches. And, you know, for me, you know, went to college. I I was also surrounded with people that drank the way I did. Mm -hmm. I I didn't stand out as somebody who had an issue. And I was still able to do all the things I needed to do in the world. Outwardly facing, no one would have known. Um, and And then sorry to interrupt you. You said this started, you said this started in high school. That was when I first started drinking. Yes. Okay. Okay. And at that point and in college, I'm just going to totally guess just based on what you said did not affect you academically. Like you were still able to perform and do the things that, you know, and it was, it was not an obvious problem. No, and I when think it comes again, to those types that of is something that I think a lot, especially of women mm-hmm. that I've met, um, you know, when they think of somebody who struggles with alcohol, they're thinking of, you know, the old man with the brown paper bag, you know, <laughs> under the overpass. And yeah. you can still function really well in the world <laughs> and mm-hmm. have an issue with alcohol. I mean, I went to college on a full academic scholarship. I kept my scholarship all through college. I, you know, started advocacy organizations. I did all the things. I traveled abroad. And all of that time, that was the only way I could cope. And when you're young too, right, your body bounces back faster. And again, I was surrounded by overachievers that were doing the same thing as me. So Megan, at that that stage, what does that look like? Like what does Mm -hmm. alcoholism look like? Are you, is it a daily Thing? Is it a going too it much was, on the weekends? Like what? It was it? very much the binge drinking culture that we all yes. know about in high school and college, uh, especially in the Midwest. I um, I feel like that's a, a big issue, um, and so it was more of the, you know, okay, it's Thursday, so it's the weekend, and then right. you're going through Sunday, and then you feel so awful on Monday, so you're spending Monday and Tuesday almost like just trying to get through the day, yeah. <laughs> and then you're at Wednesday, tomorrow's Thursday again. Um, so it wasn't an everyday thing. It wasn't like I was waking up and drinking, you know, vodka mm-hmm. and my coffee. It was very much a, you know, going out with friends at night after I got done studying or, you know, you finish finals and then you're out at the bars till 3 a.m. or, or whatever it would maybe. Um, certainly wasn't, again, what people think of as an alcoholic. And again, I never was arrested, never had a DUI never lost a job. I I didn't have any of the quote consequences Mm -hmm. that people would associate with somebody like, oh, this is really affecting their life and they have a problem. That's Um, so interesting. So you're almost like flying under the radar because you're functioning so well. Yes. Which that's, that's a weird thing to say because it's almost like a comp, I mean, it's like a compliment, which my personality, I I would take a lot of pride in that. (laughs) If I was able to do that, you know, like, yeah. And, and it, it I think it'd be a lot like, easier to, den- to deny that there's an issue because you're still getting these grades. And there's still a lot of fear that mm-hmm. you won't be able to continue with that pace because yeah. that pace is not normal. That was yeah. not good. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I mean, if, if you're living a life where the only, you have to get that release because you're so overtaxed, yes. you take away that release, then maybe you can't keep being that person. 
And there was a lot of fear associated with that, which again, you know, at 21, I didn't know that. This is definitely more of a reflective looking back mm, absolutely. type of situation. And so um, after college, I actually experienced an unplanned pregnancy. Um, who is in 10th grade now. And so we, we, we went through that process and I was really young. I was, uh, well, you know, really young being relative to me, it felt very young. I was the first of all of my friends to have a baby. Um, and I was living kind of that, you know, year out of college where again, everybody was still, you know, doing their day job and then going out on Thursday nights and Friday nights or whatever. And I had this baby at home and that's when things really transitioned to, uh, drinking alone. Mm-hmm. drinking out of feeling isolated, drinking because I was bored. Um, whereas before it was more of a social activity. Um, when I became a mom, it definitely transitioned. I was still doing it socially, but it transitioned into a, I'm going to stop for a bottle of wine on the way home from work because I'm going to put this baby to bed in two hours. And then all of my friends are going to be out having fun and I'm going to be sitting at home yeah. and I deserve it. You know, I deserve that treat that reward mm-hmm. for all the things I'm doing. Um, Were you working at that time when your baby was yes. born? Okay. Yeah. Okay. So I worked full time, um, pretty stressful job. Oh, at excuse a PR me, agency. working outside the home. Yes, ma'am. Yeah. No, I was they, working at a PR yes. agency um, as an agency rep. Okay. And again, I was still young. So this was an entry level job. I wasn't making a lot of money. Um, this was back before we had Obamacare. So my pregnancy was considered a pre-existing condition and I was denied insurance. And so there were a lot of decisions that had to be made with work um, because of that. And, and you know, I was making not a lot of money a year and I had to pay full-time daycare for a little one. Um, my husband also started his own business that year, so he wasn't making a salary. So we had two working parents, only one salary, and infant and daycare. <laughs> oh um, and so just the stress, the financial stress, um, and again, just the loneliness. You know, I didn't feel like like I would go to mom's groups, and everybody there would be ten to fifteen years older than me, and we didn't have anything in common. And um, and for me, someone who was always really focused on outwardly how things looked to others, mm-hmm. this baby felt like, in some ways, it sounds horrible, but like they were looking at me like, oh, that screw up. Look what she did. Yeah. She got yeah. pregnant and had a baby. And so it was like, I had to continue this. No, I'm going to show you guys. I'm still going to be this amazing working outside the home mom. I'm going to mm-hmm. support this new business and this baby. I'm going to be amazing. Um, and again, you can't do that if you don't have ways to cope. And so I think also the lack of community and connection, Mm -hmm. um, there's a lot of, uh, research that talks about addiction. The, you know, the cure to addiction is not necessarily even sobriety, it's connection. Mm -hmm. Um, and so I didn't have that. I, I felt very alone. And so that was really when it changed into a darker place for me. Um, And that just kind of continued, unfortunately, for about four years. Um, I had another child, so I I was able to, you know, abstain when I was pregnant and nursing. And so, again, that was another, well, see, I don't have a problem. Like, I could quit for a year. Like, it's not a big deal. Um, But especially, like, once I was past that phase with my younger child, um, I went back to it. And when I went back to it, it was, it felt so much worse. Um, It felt like I was doing things like the line kept moving of Mm -hmm. like, well, I would never do this. And then I would do it. And then Mm -hmm. I'd be like, well, that's okay. I would never do this. (laughs) And those again, fully, you know, working a full 50 hour a week job, two kids now, one in elementary school, one in daycare, um, doing all the things, uh, volunteering, And when I actually quit drinking, actually for a year, I did not come out publicly that I had quit because I was so embarrassed. And when people found out, they did, they were like, well, what do you mean? Why? What Mm -hmm. happened? Mm -hmm. Um, And even my husband, I didn't tell him until I was about two weeks um, from my last drink. And, and he even, I mean, he lives with me. (laughs) He's with me all the time. And he even to this day still, I mean, he's very proud of me, but he still can't wrap his head around that I had a problem. So Megan, I was going to ask about that. That's really interesting. Was there Mm -hmm. something that 
happened or like what led you to quit? Um, my rock bottom is kind of boring. Um, a lot of people have these like really <laughs> epic stories. You go to a recovery yeah, meeting yeah. and you just are like, these people are amazing. Look at all these <laughs> things they did. Um, I actually really just had, um, I had a family member who had passed away who was a huge part of my life. Um, and we, I had to go to his funeral in our hometown, Sarah. Um, <laughs> and and so I was driving home from the funeral and, and we didn't like have our phones. I don't know why. We were probably, you know, whatever, funeral stuff. And we got home and it was actually the day of the Boston Marathon bombing. Mm-hmm. Interesting. And I'm home and my kids are running around and I turned on the television. I had no idea. And like all of a sudden everyone's texting me. Did you? Because I was a runner. Mm-hmm. And they were like, did you see what happened in Boston? I'm like, what are you talking about? And I turned it on and I had... A bottle of wine in front of me and it's like this you know one of those core memories right mm-hmm. and I remember watching it and just thinking this isn't making this any better this doesn't make me feel better about my uncle that passed away this does not make the horrific things that I'm seeing on the television in front of me go away and I dumped the bottle of wine and that was it um so interesting but that is rare (laughs) that is not a lot of people's story um I think that probably that perfectionism thing helped a little bit with that it was like I always used to tell uh my sponsor in in my recovery group that I wanted to be the valedictorian of sobriety (laughs) I'm gonna be the best at this you guys are all gonna come to this meeting and be like like, wow she's got and like yeah, that's not been the case, but um, sure. she just laughed at me and fair. So then did um, you, you quit, but then yeah. did you start going to meetings right away or how do you, no. like, what does that look like? So I was really, really fortunate. And this is something that is, is wonderful for women today. It's even more robust is that I had found an online community before mm-hmm. I quit. So I had already been. And, and this is something we always say is like, if you're questioning your drinking, you probably have an issue. Yeah. People who drink normally don't think, oh, I'm drinking too much. Right. Maybe mm-hmm. I'm drinking too much. Should I Google? You know, we have this, there was a, a private online at that time. It was a Yahoo group. Um, yeah. <laughs> Bring it back. <laughs> yeah. But you would get in there. And, and even today, it's so funny because again, it's, we all think we're so unique and people will get, come in the group and it, there's a big process to get accepted because, you know, there's a lot of. Um, privacy involved in recovery groups and we want to make sure everyone's safe and people will get in there and I did the same thing well I you know I don't think I have a drinking problem but and they're like you've googled and ended up in a private yahoo group that you had to jump through like five hoops to get here and now you're posting so maybe you do and then it's that question of like does it matter I mean, if you, if it feels better not to drink, you don't need to label it, just try it and see. And so I, I was very lucky that I had this group and it was, it was at the time it was mostly women. There are some men in it, but it's still mostly women, which made it feel safe. A lot of people like me, a lot of mothers, oh my God, the overachievers, you would, it's, it's one of those things too, again, because these recovery groups are really private. Sometimes you'll go into and be like, oh my God, that person's here and they're there too. Um, (laughs) And there's a big fear, too, going into those groups or or in-person meetings, too. Like, you don't want to see someone you know because you don't want them to know. And then it's like, oh, no, they're here, too. Like, they're so happy to see you. And they're not going to go tell anyone they're here. Um, But, yeah, so I was really lucky that I had that group. And then when I finally quit, um, that group had several women in it that I really admired. I admired the life that they had built for themselves in their recovery and sobriety. And I literally just asked, I said, what did you do? How did you get here? And almost all of them said at that time, uh, recovery meetings. So AA was the the main one just because it's available most Mm -hmm. places. Um, And so I did go. It was really hard Um, for me. um, It can be really hard for a lot of people because of kind of the religious connotation Obviously, it's a it's a program that was put together by men back in the 30s. How does that relate to me as a, you know, a feminist mom in, you know, 2013? But I was really the biggest thing for me was I said, I will try anything once. If it makes me feel better and helps me deal with this, I will try. And I was able to uh, a big recovery saying is take what you need and leave the rest, which is really hard for me. Um, but I was able to do that. I was able to go into meetings and try to look for the similarities instead of the differences. And 
met some people locally. Um, I was really lucky that because of the work I did in my career, doing online stuff didn't feel weird to me. Um, and so that group of women, even though we lived all across the country, has been an amazing touchstone for me. And, you know, there are some of these women that, you know, I'm, I'll be nine years in April. And, you know, we've, through Voxer and Marco Polo and whatever, I mean, people I've never even met in person, but we talk That's, every day. I was just going to ask if you, if you were still in touch with some of your Yahoo yeah. people. I think that I am. That's yeah. really cool. Did you yes. have a hard time with, um, cause I don't know you personally well, but I feel like I connect with you on the, on the perfectionism front. I <laughs> like for me, like, I don't like anything that would be viewed as like a, a lower than like an A in life on my record. So I would have a hard time, I think, um, acknowledging that I had a problem with something and actually doing something about it because then that would become part of my story. That is not a perfect looking story. So was that hard for you to be like, yes, this is a problem. Yes. I'm going to do something about it. And not only that, you're, you're open about it, which helps people. But I don't know. How did you cope with that? Just as it's coming to a place where you're like, this is an issue. Doing it privately was the best thing I ever did. Yeah. Um, And honestly, doing it online helped because these people weren't seeing me at the grocery store. You know, I mean, they were just avatars on a screen that could say, I mean, anytime I would post anything, like anything, right? Like my first sober holiday, I remember was Easter. No, Easter was right before. And so the first sober holiday was the 4th of July. And I remember sitting on my phone and being like, I feel like such an idiot. Because no one knew. I wasn't open about it. My husband knew. Um, and and so, and there was just alcohol every. I mean, good grief. Fourth of July, right? It's everywhere. Mm-hmm. And, and also, you know, when you say no to a drink or talk about maybe having an issue with drinking around people that are drinking, that can get really awkward <laughs> for a lot of reasons. But one of the big ones that I found is it really makes people defensive. Because if they, especially with me, because a lot of them didn't see my drinking in a negative light, Mm -hmm. if I have a problem that's bad enough that I had to quit, then what is going on with me, Mm -hmm. right? If Megan has a problem, then I'm over here putting down, you know, shots of tequila and I thought she was perfect. Mm -hmm. And, And so people get very like defensive. And the question is always like, oh, what happened? Why? Why? What happened? Mm-hmm. And I always feel so bad because I don't have a salacious story. It's just mm-hmm. it wasn't it wasn't working for me anymore. Um, but again, this online group, things like that statement. Oh, it just wasn't working for me anymore. How to answer the question? Oh, why? Here has how to say no. How to say no to a drink? Yeah, those are huge skills. And yes, um, I was able to kind of tap this group and and come up with things also that you know, made it just so I could get through that experience. You know, there's, there's, there's some people that would be like, Oh, well, if you're not drinking, you need to be like, oh, I'm not drinking anymore. Cause I believe blah, blah. No, mm-hmm. I would say I'm on medication right mm-hmm. now. Mm-hmm. I'm getting ready for a race. So I'm just not right now. Mm-hmm. Um, that first year, especially there were a lot of, which I always thought was funny. Cause like, I never didn't have a glass of wine because I was on an antibiotic before. I was always like, are you guys really believing this? But people did. Yeah. Um, yeah. Well, and, and like maybe it sounds like too, like shifting the focus to your goal is to not drink, not to necessarily, I'm not saying right. you're lying to people, but it doesn't no. really matter in that situation when the goal is just to not be drinking. And the goal is just not to drink right now. Yeah. Like, oh no, I'm good right now. I don't need a drink right now. You yeah. know, one, one huge. Not like making a life at- statement. Yes. And one, yeah. and I mean, that's a huge thing in all recovery is that you're making this decision one day at a time. I don't know if I'm going to be sober tomorrow, but I'm sober today. And so you don't yeah. have to tell everyone I've quit drinking and I never drink. I still never say I'd never drink again. I don't know. I hope not, but you know, yeah. well, life, it's very life realistic. I think it's very realistic. And it just, it takes a lot of that pressure off and And just even simple things, like I could ask these women, I remember someone said, you know, one of the big things with social gatherings is that people just want you to be having fun, you know, and that's why they're pushing this drink on you to you. You're thinking like, oh, get away from me. Mm -hmm. So just already have a drink with you, have a drink Mm -hmm. in your hand. Mm -hmm. And then they just, most of the time people will go, oh, good, you're good. Okay. Mm -hmm. And just things like that, that are like little 
things that can just help you get through each experience. And all of those experience, you're building like muscles of sobriety, right? To where you get to a point where you're much more confident. So I was also told, don't make any big changes in the first year in anything, in your Mm -hmm. career, family, life. Um, And so I actually didn't come out like public, public (laughs) as sober um, until I was two years sober. So that was the first time like I wrote a blog post about it. It was terrifying. Mm -hmm. Um, And immediately emails from good friends that I had no idea were struggling and thought they were so alone. Family members, cousins that I hadn't talked to, um, you know, oh my gosh, I really been thinking about this and I felt like a crazy person and I can't believe. And I was so scared that, you know, exactly. People were going to be like, look at that failure. Mm -hmm. I literally in all the times I've been on tons of podcasts, (laughs) written lots of pieces. I've literally never had a negative email. Every single email I've ever received has been either from someone who's struggling, wanting help, or someone saying, thank you for sharing. You know, my mom had that issue, and I never thought about it through her perspective. Yeah. And and so I think a lot of that fear is just, it's around our own fear yeah. um, and shame. There's mm-hmm. so much shame. Mm-hmm. I mean, good grief around motherhood in general, but oh, yeah. throw this in there, I mean, you look up the definition of a bad mother, it's a drunk mother, right? Yeah. Drunk mother, you know, there's this HBO um, movie that I watched in early sobriety. And it was about the, it's a documentary about that mom that drove the wrong way on the New Jersey traffic way. It was like in the mid 2000s. Okay. And she had her um, two kids in her car and her three like niece and nephews. And she drove the wrong way on her minivan, just blasted out of her mind and killed people in the oncoming car, killed her kids. And the entire documentary is her family saying she was the perfect mom. Mm-hmm. She made all the scrapbooks. We have, we have photo books from every event the kids ever did. Like none of them knew yeah. she had a drinking problem. And I remember watching that and just sobbing and saying, that's what would happen if I did that. People yeah. would be like, I had no idea. And so remembering that like, it's not just me. It's not just that mom. It's there's so many of us out there mm-hmm. that are just struggling with this and shame. And, you know, it's just really hard. And so for me, when I was at a point where, you know, and I talked to my family, I, I told them I was planning to talk about it publicly because, you know, I was worried it might affect career things and it might yeah. affect whatever. Um, but by the time I did it, I felt really comfortable. And then as the years have gone on, I've shared more and more as I felt comfortable. Sure. And I think that it's really important for people to remember that we don't owe anyone our story. If you want to stay sober and keep that quiet for the rest of your life, you totally can. I just knew I had this platform and I felt like I talked about everything else mm-hmm. and it felt weird. Like I was going through all these massive changes. Like people would see me and be like, you look so great. <laughs> and 90% of it was that I now drink water <laughs> instead of wine. You can and do it too. I can do, like, I'm constantly getting people, you look so young still. And I'm like, oh, yeah. when I was 30, my 30-year-old birthday pictures, I look 10 years older than I do right now mm-hmm. because I wasn't taking care of myself. And so yeah. I think it's just, you really have to evaluate where you are in your story, your family, your circumstance. But I'm glad that I'm public because it also keeps me accountable like if I show up to a public event and I decide I'm going to order a cocktail, people are going to be like, what? So, <laughs> yeah. so, so Megan, that's so helpful. Yeah. Megan, as the years have gone on, I mean, I know with COVID and then just, you know, different, you know, things that happen in our lives, like, um, has, have there been times when it's harder or do you feel like you're far enough in your recovery that the temptation is less or that you've developed the coping skills to deal with, you know, grief or stress. And I mean, so I think it's both. I think that, you know, I know a lot of people that say they never think about drinking ever. Um, I've been in that place too. Um, There's something that we call in recovery. It's called the pink cloud um, where you're just like being sober is the best. I'm amazing. (laughs) Everything is music. I feel like Snow White. Um, that usually fades after the first year. Mm -hmm. Um, 
but there, I feel like there are periods of that for sure. Um, I know for me, the, the decision to drink that first drink is always my decision, right? Once I take that first drink, I just know how I am. That decision's gone now. I, I can't, you know, I just can't. Um, and that has kept me, <laughs> that fear has kept me sober for sure. Yeah. Um, but it has been really hard. And especially in the last few years, you know, like I yeah. said earlier, the opposite of, you know, uh, addiction is connection. And COVID did us no favors there. Mm-hmm. Um, and with moms, especially, I don't know about you all, but I carried the share of that. You know, my kids were home uh, for a year. Um, I have a parent who's terminally ill and lives with us half the time and I handle all his treatment. And so we had to be really careful with COVID. I had to be the mean mom that was like, I know your friends aren't wearing masks. I know your friends are playing the sports. We can't. Um, And like I said, I have a a 10th grader. So that was the end of their eighth grade year and their entire freshman year of high school. Um, And while it's hard at every age, right? (laughs) It was incredibly hard. Oh, well, it's just social social time the the social emotional development issues that went along with that them having to be isolated Mm. was I mean we're obviously still dealing with it as a lot of people are um but I was also we did a virtual school option that ended up with me having to basically be their teachers for a year while working full-time in social media management for a healthcare organization (laughs) during a pandemic I mean, so my job, my job is literally to be on Twitter all day. (laughs) It's fun. Um, So for me, yes, it was incredibly hard because again, like there are days, it's not that I want to drink. I just want to numb. I don't want to feel this way anymore. Yeah. Um, And unfortunately, when you numb the bad stuff, you're also numbing all the good stuff. So, and it's harder. It's harder to sit with it. It's so much harder to go for a run or to call a friend or than it is to just like be like, fine, I'm just going to drink my glass of wine and, you know, watch bad TV or whatever. It just feels like an easier option. Yeah. Um, but again, I was very fortunate that so much of my recovery had happened online already. Um, so I did have a lot, I think an easier, um, time with still being able to connect with people. Sure. Cause you um, kind of had that in place. Yes. And I was really lucky. I, a gratitude practice has been a huge part of my recovery. And I actually have a gratitude group, um, that again, we live all across the country Yeah, and having that every day and they're all moms too. Like we were all going through this. Um, and we're all going through, you know, I'm entering that new phase of parenting where I'm parenting children and now I'm parenting my parents Yeah, and they're going through that too. And being able to reach out to other people, just to know you're not alone yeah. um, helps, but it, it was, yeah. And I can see how, you know, the, the statistics about women and alcohol pre COVID were frightening. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. Now they are, I, I think we're going to see quite an epidemic of women struggling um, yes. and not only the mental and emotional, you know, I actually work in my job is in cancer um, and the number one, not cause of of breast cancer, but the number one thing you can do to reduce your chances of breast cancer is don't drink alcohol. And that's not don't binge drink. That's do not drink it at all. Even having one glass a day increases your breast cancer risk. And so I don't, people don't really know that. Well, and of course everything in moderation, right? Oh, absolutely. No, but that's, that's really interesting. It's, you know, I think about, the cigarette industry, right? Virginia Slims and Mm -hmm. the way that those were marketed to women. That's what's happening right now in the alcohol industry, which is mainly owned by men. Mm -hmm. And they are marketing and profiting off women getting addicted to this addictive carcinogenic drug (laughs) that's legal. And that's hard for a lot of people to hear. Yeah. especially because they want to justify, you know, oh, well, you're just overreacting. Okay. <laughs> I mean, <sighs> this is peer-reviewed data by the NIH, but okay, cool. Mm, yeah, yeah, yeah. Overreacting. And just the numbers because of what has happened to women, even before COVID, right, with with the weight, the mental load that is put on women, the physical load, what yes. we're all carrying, especially as mothers. Um, 
I just want women to know that there's another way, you know? Yeah. Um, It really struck me how you said in your story, like, I deserve this treat. Yes. Um, Which I think I do with, like, a bowl of cereal at night or, you know, whatever it is. But, like, I think especially with COVID, and we've seen it in, you know, internet memes or of just, like, mommy juice or my glass of wine after virtual school has been such a normalized behavior. Sure. That we deserve. Um, But that just struck me in your story and just thinking of the messaging specifically over the past two years. Messaging around what I think a lot of people don't think about. And these are conversations that I'm now able to have with my children. You know, my younger child doesn't ever remember a time with me drinking. When Mm -hmm. I quit, he was two, which is a blessing. But it's also a curse. Because he doesn't know yes. what it was like. And then my older one, she or they were um, four and a half, five, kindergarten age. Um, they don't really remember it at all. But I think there's this, it breaks my heart when I see people post things like, mommy drinks because you cry. Mm-hmm. Or let's give the teachers a bottle of wine because they've been dealing with you all day and they deserve it. Yeah. And we're not thinking about what messaging that's sending to our kids mm-hmm. that be you're so hard on my life that I need to take this drug to numb out <laughs> because I've been dealing with you. Yeah. And maybe that's being dramatic, yeah. but it's also the truth. It is. And the truth. so and it's I think just it's... keeping it in mind and trying to be more mindful of how we talk about it. Yes, for sure. And I think just knowing or excuse me, not knowing who around us is where that's like an actual struggle and an actual issue. And Um, I will tell you in any mom's group you're in, there are women in there struggling and there are women in there that are sober that are not telling you. Yes. Yeah. Because they've seen you post that meme. Not you personally. It's collective you. (laughs) Sure. Sure. You know, you think you're just posting something on Facebook. I mean, I see that. I mean, I'm out. So people know. But like before I was, I was like, oh, man, I can't go hang out with them. And I would be so afraid to do things with people because I didn't want to have to answer that question. I didn't want to feel less than. And I wanted to be really proud of my decision um, and it's just harder when you see those kinds of things out there. Yeah. So Megan, what can we do if like we ourselves are struggling with this or if we have a friend that's struggling with this, like what advice would you give? Like, what do you do? So I would think the first thing is just to let them know that you love them mm-hmm. and that you support them and no matter what they do, one of the best things that someone did for me was the first person I ever told that was like a friend we were at a work, oh my God, it was so awkward. We were at a work dinner and because of the age I was, I wasn't drinking. And that was rare for me to be not having a glass of wine at dinner. Mm-hmm. And I totally, I had this list in my phone of ways I was getting, no, 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 no. And everybody was like, what? And of course it turned into, oh my God, are you pregnant? Yeah. And I was like, no. And I remember taking my friend <laughs> to the bathroom. She was the wife of uh, my husband's business partner. And I was like, sitting in the stall and I was like, I quit drinking. I'm not drinking anymore. And she has never drank around me again. And she, because she doesn't have an issue with alcohol, she can take it or leave it. Not a big deal. And she, and it's never anything I ever asked her to do. And I would never expect that. I would never ask anybody to do that. It's not my business whether other people drink or not. But it was so nice to know that if I went to a work dinner, if even now, even today, if we go to a work dinner together, she's got soda or water with me. Just so I don't feel alone. So it's like little things like that, I mean, are huge. And just make you feel like you have someone safe. I think the other thing is also just to try to be cognizant of things like gifts. I can't tell you how many times as like a gift I've gotten a bottle of wine. And you may not know if that person is on the edge. And now that wine is in their house. And, you know... um, or as like a te- like I was saying, a teacher gift or whatever. Just like give them a plant, give them a, <laughs> give them a gift card to Target. Um, yeah, it's just I think people don't necessarily because if you don't have a problem, you're not going to think of that. You're going to yes. be like, oh, this is a nice. It's easy. It's a great housewarming gift. That's mm-hmm. what I always give plants now. Yeah, um, because you just don't know. And like erring is, on the side of caution. Yeah, yeah, 
And if someone brings it up to you, like, hey, I'm, you know, I'm really struggling with this and I don't know what to do. Never say, oh my God, you're fine. Uh-huh. Because you have yeah. no idea what's happening behind uh-huh. the scenes. Just, oh my gosh, that was really brave of you to tell me that. That's amazing. Yeah. And I'm here to help you however you want. I'm also here just to listen. And when you see them the next week and they have a glass of wine in their hand, not to go up to them and be like, you told me, like, what do you do? And you told me you had a problem because this is a process for a lot of people. And if they feel shamed by you after they've been able to come out, most people don't quit and then are done forever. Yeah. Right. Right. And you then become an unsafe person. So just to be there for them and to, mm-hmm. to let them know that you love them regardless. Right. Kind of like we tell our kids, you can yeah. make all the mistakes but we love you regardless. You are not your drinking issue. That's not who you are. That's just a part of you. Yeah. Um, I think those are all great ways to support people you love. Yeah, that's wonderful. So Megan, kind of in closing, um, what are some resources in Kansas City, like specifically that you've found to be helpful throughout your journey? And we're going to link to, you know, if you have anything specific, we will um, link to some things below in our show notes. Sure. And I think, again, hopefully there will be more um, as things start to open up a little bit more um, after COVID, as we're kind of recording this, as things are starting to open up again. Um, Like I said earlier, um, AA, Mm -hmm. Al-Anon, places like that sound really scary. Mm -hmm. Everyone is wonderful. (laughs) You know, like you walk into that room and you walk in there and say, this is my first meeting. People want to throw you a friggin' party. You're never going to find people that are more excited that you're there. Yeah. Um, but I also so do you to... find a group online? Like, can you yeah. search your so location can... or how would someone do that? Yep. So the the national um, for Alcoholics Anonymous AA um, and then Al-Anon is the sister group of AA that is for people that um, have people in their families that might be struggling with alcohol. Okay. Um, and so Al-Anon, I actually, uh, I'm what's considered a double winner. Uh, I belong to both groups, which okay. is fun. And a lot of people do, right? This is a family disease. This is not something that one person is struggling with alone. Um, and so you can just look up the National AA website and you put in your zip code and it will pop up meetings. Um, that are around you. Um, most meetings now, which this is really great, uh, do have a virtual option. Okay. Um, there's also meetings that are specific to, quote, double winners. You can go to meetings that are combo. Like if you're a person who maybe struggles with alcohol, but also came from, um, have a family or friend or a parent or a sibling that also struggled, um, you can attend meetings with like just people that have that. There are women's only meetings, which when I first started, were that was really important to me. Yeah. Um, And you can search all of that. Like you can pick all the things. And I would also recommend for people when they're going to any kind of recovery meeting, if you go to one meeting and it's horrible, don't just be like, I can never do this again. All the meetings are horrible. Um, (laughs) Meetings, you know, you'll know just like anywhere in Kansas City, right? Different neighborhoods have different vibes. You know, there are meetings down on the plaza. There are meetings out in Leawood. There are meetings out in North Casey. And Mm -hmm. you may find one that works for you that you wouldn't think. So um, that's a really good option. There's also, um, for people who are not into AA, there's also a program called Smart Recovery, Mm -hmm. um, which I have attended as well and really enjoyed. And you can, again, just Google it, Smart Recovery, um, and you'll put it in your zip code. I know there are lots of meetings. Um, Church of the Resurrection has Smart Recovery meetings. Mm -hmm. They usually aren't as easy to find. Obviously, AA is nice because it's free. And um, it's so robust. Um, So that's why a lot of people do that. But being in the metro that we're in, there are other options like smart recovery that um, can also be great. Um, And then, you know, I know this isn't necessarily Kansas City based, but because of that online option, there are two groups that I really love. Um, One is called Tempest. Okay. Um, and it's a group that was put together by Holly Whitaker and Holly and I have the same sobriety date and I adore her. <laughs> yeah. She and she's the author of the book. It's called quit like a woman. It's also a great read. Um, talks a lot about the epidemic of, of women and alcohol and kind of the industry around it. Um, and just really, I know a lot of people that don't struggle with alcohol and have read that book and been like, Whoa, yeah. like just opening your eyes to like what's happening there. Um, and so Tempest is an online um, class 
it does cost money. So that's, okay. you know, the downside. Okay. Um, there's different levels, but they also have a lot of online components with like groups and webinars and things like that. Um, and then another online group that is really wonderful is called She Recovers. Okay. And um, they do everything from retreats to they have groups in different cities. They do, um, I've been to a couple She Recovers conferences, which is the best. Um, just a lot of us weirdos women out there just <laughs> living the dream. The last one I went to was in New York City and it was like my dream. Yeah. Um, and they do a lot of like um, holistic recovery care. So it's not AI based, um, yeah. but it's like yoga, your mental health, your physical health, all of those things. Yeah. Um, and that's a great resource as well. And a lot of these bigger groups too will have spinoffs in your community, depending on where you live. Because okay. again, you don't realize how many people right around you are also struggling. And so a lot of them will say, let's form a Kansas City or let's form a, you know, Lee Summit group or whatever it is. Sure. Um, so those are really good places to start. Oh my gosh. Amazing. All right. We will link to all of these things um, as well as your contact information um, and ways for our listeners to connect with you um, moving forward. And I know just based on our previous conversation, you said you are open to talking with people, which I think is yes. wonderful. And that has so been one of the that. greatest. And, and that is that help, that's what helps me stay sober too, is yeah. talking to people that are still in the throes of it, mm-hmm. remembering what, so it's like, I think that's another thing that, you know, I dealt with. I never wanted to ask anyone for help. I never yeah. wanted to burden anyone with my problems. Yeah. When you ask someone that is actively in recovery, Hey, I need help. You are helping them as much as they are helping you. Maybe even you're helping them more. That's And really it's really important. And mm-hmm. I just, I want women to know that don't ever feel like you're a burden. Please email me, reach out on social, whatever it is. Would love to talk to you or help connect you with people that could help you wherever you're at. That's amazing. Megan, thank you so thank you. much. This has been absolutely amazing. And we just really appreciate you sharing your story so openly. Of course. Thank you so much for having me and for talking about this. You of know, you course. Guys have such a wonderful audience. And to be able for the that audience to hear that you guys care about this issue and that you ladies wanted to talk about it, that's going to help so many people too. We hope so. Thanks so much for being part of that. Thanks, Megan. Thanks. Thank you. Okay, friends, so we're going to switch gears just a little bit and talk about what we are loving in Kansas City right now. It's April. It's spring. We have made it and survived. Sarah, what is something that you um, that's on your list? So our sports practices have just started. And for the first time ever, we are, a, I mean, have one kid in two overlapping sports and mm-hmm. two others with activities. And um, they all blessedly we're scheduled on Mondays Jeez. so it takes a little bit of gymnastics to get everybody mm-hmm. where they need to be and you know some outside help yeah. so dinner always a challenge I feel like for anyone that is just juggling just the Schedules. dumpster fire that is April and May yes um and so what we really love and I do as a gift to myself is social suppers mm. which it is in Prairie Village and you can order online or you can go and pick from either their fridge if you want it for that night or their freezer. And I will buy 10 meals um, and the, or maybe like just a lot of sides too. You know, I can bake chicken quick, but dealing with all the sides or mm-hmm. my family only gets rice if it's me. <laughs> um, so it's meat and rice. And so it's just such a relief to have one meal or two meals a week yeah. that are just ready to go and I'm not door dashing and um, mm-hmm. for our family even though we're five people we can still get the half orders on a lot of you could choose either whole or half um, and with three kids that are a little bit pickier I can still get a half order and you know third a chicken breast and they're fine with that yeah. um, and so we really love that and my tip is if you their protein balls chocolate chip protein balls 
are amazing. And my husband and I, who both work from home, consume way too many. So <laughs> social suppers in Prairie Village. I also love that idea, too, for taking people meals. Yes, I've done that before, too. Baby, um, and you want to bring them a home-cooked meal, but you don't want to actually do the home cooking. <laughs> Just go to social suppers, and they do it for you. Yes. That's awesome. All right, mine is um, currently the free exhibit at Crown Center. It's on that lower level, uh, right by... S- the Coterie. The Coterie. Thank you. Topsies, popcorn. Topsies, yep, back in that little corner. Um, I almost said spin, which that's where we like to go eat. And that's on the opposite end of the same floor. Um, it's Animal Tales and Trails. My kids are four and a half and seven and a half. Both of them enjoyed it. My four and a half enjoyed it more um, and has requested to go back. And basically, they you go in. It's free. It's all kind of jungle themed. They've got um, monkey bars. They've got like an eagle's nest they can climb up in. It's all painted murals they had the lion king soundtrack going it was great and throwback the polar bear slide so polar different bear slide different animal habitats yep yep there was a beehive i mean it's just really cute so you can go there i mean you're not going to spend well you could spend an hour um but it's not going to be like an all-day event by any means so plan other things when you go down there but definitely go check it out and it's open until may 1st and 2022 and it's open Monday through Saturday, 10 a.m. to 6 p.m. And Sunday, noon to 5, closed on Easter. So that's what we got. All right, other things coming up. Sarah, talk to us about Pajama Jam. So we just got through our, our egg hunt, and our next event is Pajama Jam at Wonderscope. And so yes. Wonderscope has offered their space for us to invite. Um, we only have spots for about 50 families. And so we do expect these tickets to go. Um, and so you bring your kiddos in their pajamas. We will have activities in addition to the fact you get to enjoy Wonderscope with less people. And we have a DJ, a kid DJ who will be there. Um, <laughs> we have food, treats. It should be a really fun time. So that is April 30th from 6 to 9 p.m. And you can find... We'll link to the ticket so you can find them on our website. Yes, we hope to see you there. Awesome. Thank you so much for being a part of our podcast today and our listener community. And we will see you next time. Bye. Thank you again for spending part of your day with us. We would love for you to share this podcast with other Kansas City moms, as well as rate and review, as this helps others find us. We would also love to hear from you, whether it's to share what you loved about today's episode, an idea for a future topic, or just to tell us how you're doing. We are here for you. You can email us anytime at kcncpodcast at gmail.com. See you next time on another episode of Kansas City Momcast.